Live from Southern California, this is the Jim Rome Show. Why don't we start with the NFL? Listen, I'm never, ever going to be that dude that overreacts to anything, much less what happens in the preseason. After all, it is the preseason. But that doesn't mean that there aren't still reports dropping from camp almost every single day. Every camp. And if you're following what's coming out of, say, New England, it's been sounding a lot like this. Quote, Patriots, number one offense today has been distressingly bad. Run stuffs, aborted plays, would-be sacks, distressed lobs into traffic just to get the ball out. Beginning to feel it's less the new offense and more of the post-scar cycle of OL coaches. They are perpetually overwhelmed. That was Tom Curran. No less an authority than Tom Curran. My feeling is, if Tom Curran says it, then it must be so. Now, that was a week ago. Fact of the matter is, and I bring that up because I was not here a week ago, but that was a very telling statement. Fact of the matter is, it may have been a week ago, but apparently not a hell of a lot has changed. The defining narrative coming out of Patriots camp is still that the offense is essentially a smoldering dumpster. And that, by the way, is pretty much the least surprising thing ever, right? Considering they do not have an offensive coordinator. What they do have are two dudes that Belichick has turned to in Joe Judge and fat Matt Patricia. Not a surprise that Josh McDaniels is an incredibly difficult dude to try to replace. In fact, it's actually pretty common sense. The surprise is the hood barely seems to be trying to find a legitimate replacement. Like Joe Judge, to me, is the very last person you would ever want in a young quarterback like Mac Jones's ear. The pencil is the last person who should be calling offensive plays for anybody at all. And yet that apparently is the plan in New England. Or at least it was. It was until their first preseason game last Thursday when Patricia and Judge actually split the play calling duties. You know what that's like? That's like having multiple quarterbacks. It's like when you have two play callers, or I should say two quarterbacks, you know the old saying, If you have two quarterbacks, you really have none at all. Same thing with two play callers. If you've got two play callers, you really have none at all. Especially if those two play callers are Joe Judge and Matt Patricia. So naturally, everybody is confused. Especially the New England media. They're confused. They've been confused. Hell, we all are. And as always, trying to look to the hood for answers is the deadest dead end ever. Because yesterday, the hood was asked if these two losers are clearly in competition to call the plays. Is it a competition? And if it is, in fact, a competition, who's got the inside track right now, hood? What's the nature of that process? Is it competitive, you know, like it is for the players where you're competing for opportunity and being evaluated? No, that doesn't have anything to do with it. Then how would you characterize the process? That's, we don't have time for that. I appreciate the question, I really do. I I know, I know how interested you are in that subject and 
I'd love to be able to shed a little more light on it, but it's honestly it's a much longer conversation. You did shed some light. It's not competitive. So you did shed some light on it. Yeah. Hey, just trying to help out. Sarcastic much? Just trying to help out. Just trying to help out. Just trying to help out by help saying out. absolutely nothing at all. The hood is seriously trying to tell us that the process of choosing between Judge and Fat Matt is so complicated that it cannot be explained. Oh, but it's not a competition. Yeah, thanks for that, Hood. Thank you very little. Thank you for absolutely nothing at all. Just trying to help out. Yeah, let me ask you something, Hood. If I ripped off both my sleeves and I spawned a kid who licks himself all day long, then would you answer the question? (laughs) We don't have time for that. I mean, sure, it is the most Hood thing ever, But could you have handled this any worse than you just did, mumbler? Well, actually, yes. Yes, he can. Actually, he did. Last Thursday, once again, I was not here. I was enjoying my last few hours at the lake. Reporters tried to get a sense from him about the greatest preseason battle ever. Knob v. Pencil. Pencil v. Loser. And the fact that They are engaged in this incredible battle. They tried to get it from the hood last Thursday after that preseason game, and this is what he went with then. Um, With the offensive play call, you're going through a process. Just really quickly, just to follow up if I could, you mentioned earlier, um, with the offensive play call, you're going through a process. What do you need to see to make a final decision? Just we're going through a process. Simple as that. Okay. It's just a little bit of a... An unusual situation for us that have watched you guys before, and so what do you want me to do? I guess we're just looking for a little clarity as to great why we're seeing what we're seeing. Yeah, going through a process. Okay. All right. Thank you. I'll tell you what's not an answer. This is not an answer. Quote. Unless Fabian's the head coach. Can you provide a little clarification? What do you want me to do? What do you want me to do? He just said, what do you want me to do? It's actually pretty simple. Explain how the hell Joe Judge and Matt Patricia running the offense is going to work. That's all anybody's looking for, Hood. Because nobody can figure out what the hell you're thinking, and you won't tell anybody what the hell you're thinking. But all right, fine. All right. Uh, Yeah, I know. I know. I know. I know. You're going through a process. You're going through a process. A process that looks a lot like the greatest coach of all time running one of his last teams right into the ground. And what? For who? For what? Out of loyalty to a couple of buffoons that absolutely nobody will ever understand because that's what the process looks like from the outside. But like I said, it's only the preseason and this is the hood. He may be more insufferable and more annoying than ever before, but but he does still have six rings. He still has six rings at home and clearly he has some kind of plan. Am I right, hood? Mm-hmm. You know, if you were here, what he'd say, he'd probably say something like, uh, 
It's not a plan, Radio Man. It's a process. We're going through a process. No, we're going through a process. Radio Man, it's not a plan. We're going through a process. Simple as that. It's simple as that. I know. What do you want me to do? And what do you want me to do, Radio Man? I know that you know all about process, Radio Man. Let me help you out here. It's kind of like the process. Going through a process. It's kind of like a process of, uh, you know, making a diamond. You start off with a couple of lumps of crap. Yeah, I mean coal. And then what you do then, Radio Man, is you press them together very tightly. And that's all I can say about the process. That's all I can say about the process. I can say that, too. It's all I can say about the process, other than the process is the process. And I appreciate the interest in the process, Radio Man. Let me tell you one more thing, Radio Man. Well, I got you here. It's just too complicated for you or anybody else to understand. You got that, Radio Man? You simply do not understand, Radio Man. We you don't. don't. Have time for that. You don't. We don't have time for that. Just trying to help out. I'm just trying to help you out here, Radio Man. But I'll tell you what. I will give you something I know you will understand. I will give you something that I know you will understand, Radio Man. How about this, Radio Man? Are you listening? Hey, Radio Man, is this on? Are you listening? All right, good. Tell me how my ass tastes, Radio Man. Tell me that. Tell me that. That's the process, Radio Man. You want to know about the process? The now process. you know the process. Tell me how my ass tastes, Radio Man. <laughs> you understand that, don't you? Don't you? Tell me how my ass tastes, Radio Man. Ah, I didn't mumble that, did I? Did I? Now all of a sudden I'm Winston Churchill. Simple as that. Yeah, you got that. How's that grab you, Radio Man? Tell you what, you keep it up. You keep it up. I'll bring back Charlie in Kansas. Ah, <laughs> you like that? I'll bring back that. Charlie in Kansas, and I will throw him into the mix for the trifecta. Huh. Oh, a trifecta. That's a big word, Radio Man. Big, big word, Radio Man. Probably went right over your head. So let me give you a word that you can understand, Radio Man. Ass. As in, tell me how my ass tastes, Radio Man. <laughs> what do you want me to do? Hey, Hood, I understand. I do. I do. I really do understand. I understand that when you have as many rings as you have, you pretty much do think that you're above reproach. And in a way, you are. You are. You can do whatever the hell you want when you're the GOAT, when you've got six rings. You can do whatever the hell you want, except, except bring back Fat Matt and Joseph and risk ruining your young star quarterback in this so-called process and think that nobody is going to ask you about that. That's the one thing you cannot do. Pretty dumb coming from the alleged smartest guy ever. Eh. Great. What a troll. I mean, the goat. But what a troll. Like, nobody's going to ask about that. 1-800-636-8686. Just trying to help out. Yeah, thank you very much for that. This guy's like, I've got enough problems with my own son licking his face, radio man. I will get to the play calling later on. Yeah, you got a kid who won't stop biting his fingers. I got a kid who won't stop licking himself. I will get to the play calling later, Radio Man. You know, we could talk about how complicated other banks make it to redeem credit card rewards. Like how they require minimums and worse yet, how their rewards flat out expire. Or we could talk about how with Discover, you can redeem your rewards for cash in any amount at any time. I mean, you want to talk about amazing And now that we've talked about that, let's get back to the daily jungle. You know, the stuff that we talk about here daily. Learn more at discover.com slash redeem rewards. Terms apply. He is Yogi Roth. Yogi, it's great to have you back. How are you? 
I'm great, man. Fired up to talk to you. I mean, football season is here. Thanks for making the time. Thank you for making the time. Football season is here. In fact, I want to talk to you about the upcoming season. I want to talk to you, Yogi, about your new book. But as somebody who loves college football and loves the Pac-12, can you take me through your emotions when the news first broke the USC and UCLA were planning to leave for the Big Ten? Oh, yeah. I, I think all of us in sports, definitely on the West Coast, will remember where we were forever on that moment when, when the news broke. I was interviewing Kimberly Stroud, C.J. Stroud's mom, and Craig Young, Bryce Young, the reigning Heisman Trophy winner's father, in front of 20-some parents at the Elite 11. And as I'm interviewing them, I'm seeing my phone just light up. And you know how it is. You're doing interviews. You're not trying to take time away from that and look at your phone. But I got nervous. I was like, are my kids okay? Is my wife all right? What, why is it exploding the way that it was? And then, of course, I glanced down and, and saw the news that was rumored. And then a couple hours later, it was confirmed. So I, I think I went through um, – you know, the stages of grief, like anybody does, right? You're angry, you're frustrated, you're sad. Um, all of those things I felt over the course of, you know, throughout that weekend. I was disappointed, um, shocked. And then, you know, when I kind of came to and talked to enough ADs and kind of the, the dust settled, because it, it seemed as though we were just waiting for something else to happen, uh, another school, another two schools, uh, more schools to leave. Once that settled down, um, every AD I've talked to um, and our commissioner, George Klyovkov, uh, and the people that, you know, are in charge of the Pac-12, I just felt like, you know what, we're going to emerge. And that was kind of the theme over the course of those following weeks. And then we got into media days, which you saw a couple weeks ago. And, and I feel that way now. You know, 10 schools aren't going to quit football and roll it up because two left. Uh, they're going to keep competing and continue to pump out a bunch of players. And, you know, I think it, it allowed us to step back, reflect, and say, you know what, our league has done really well. You know, we're always third pretty much behind those other two conferences with NFL players. Um we're going to be able to compete to get to the playoff. That's going to expand. We all know that. So every high school athlete who's got their dreams of playing at the next stage and on a big stage in college is still going to be able to do that in this conference. But, yeah, it was, it was a crazy couple of days for sure. Yogi Roth is joining us. So, Yogi, when you talk about those two conferences, as an example, Mac Brown was on the show yesterday. He said that moving to a pair of mega conferences and then something like a 16-team playoff feels like it's actually the NFL. Now, I know that you're all about celebrating the players, their stories, and the game. But overall, as you step back, what does the future of college football look like to you, and are you concerned? Well, I, I listened to that conversation, man. And uh, we had our you know, weekly staff meeting at the Pac-12 this morning, right before this, this interview. And I shared something that Max said that really stuck with me, which, as you know, but just to say it again, was college football is about two things. It's about the players and the fans. And I love that because it is. And here's what I know to be the reality. I know that the NFL is not adding more teams. And I know the percentage of players going to the NFL is going to remain at less than 3% per team. But the players remain at 100% in terms of they all think they're going to the league. So what do we have to do? We have to develop them. We have to develop them to actually care about a degree. And we can't become, in my opinion, the NFL where it's all about ball all the time. And if we do, then it's just going to become a professional model. And that means players are going to get cut. They are going to not have credits transfer. They're not going to have a degree. And the numbers around the NFL aren't going to change. I see the best players every year, every year in high school football. I've seen it for almost 20 years now. They're not getting dramatically better. It's not like you know, 2X or 3X players I think could go to the NFL. It's pretty much the same. See a bunch of really talented guys, and then based on where they go and if they develop and how much they love the craft, 
depends on so many different factors, and that will allow them to either make it to the next level or not. But at the end of the day, their career is going to last two and a half, three years, and they're going to fall back on something. And I don't really, um, I don't like the model that is often being talked about, which is the pro model uh, only super conferences, because I think we forget that they're still 18, 19, 20. And I say that even coming off of being at SC for their media day uh, a week and a half ago, I'm calling their opener on the Pac-12 networks. That I heard Jordan Addison say a quote, which you know went around the world in college football, which is, it's a business. Right? He's a transfer from Pitt, the reigning Blitnikoff award winner. We've seen Caleb Williams. We talked about in all of his NIL deals. And I think those things are awesome. But what college doesn't have is they don't have any veterans that have been through that. Right? All these young men are still 18, 19, 20. They're still developing, right? Their brains are still developing at the same pace, whether NIL is there or not there, or Super Conference is there or not there. So I think there's a lot of things that are going to be a part of college football moving forward that none of us are anticipating, that I don't think are necessarily great benefits to the players, because no matter whether it's two Super Conferences or five Power Five leagues, the dreams of players can still be achieved, which is, can I get a degree? Can I make it to the league? And how can I make money off my own name, image, and likeness? Those things are still reality. I think right now when we look at where the world's going, which is so much money, all the media rights, um, it's not a great place for the game, which is why now heading into the season, I'm like tripling down, bro, on the stories and the exos of the game. Like, that's what I'm going to talk about because I think over the last two months, everybody's become a media rights expert, and, and I'm not that. I'm a football expert, and that's where my heart and head is going to go. Really, really interesting stuff. Yogi Roth is joining us. So, Yogi, before I let you go, you work with elite young quarterbacks. You have quite literally written a book on them called Five Star QB. The book is out right now. How would you describe a five-star quarterback? What are the attributes that they have to have? It's a fascinating question. So years ago, uh, three years ago, after the Elite 11, uh, a friend of mine, Joey Roberts, who runs Personnel at the Elite 11, and I were sitting down, and we said, man, we're getting the same questions asked of us from the same five-star quarterbacks and five-star parents. And I've done it for almost 20 years. He was on you know, year 15, I think. And we said, we've got to do something about it. We said, yeah, we've got to give him advice. But we can't be on the phone all day. So let's create a book that can serve as a tribe of mentors for everybody going through this journey, whether you're a walk-on like I was or five-star Caleb Williams, Bo Nix, uh, Will Greer. I mean, there's a, uh, Josh Rosen, the list goes on and on. And we said, okay, let's go do it. So the first thing, of course, is to dive into what does it even mean? And when you look at the history of rankings, which began in my year coming out of high school, which was 2000, uh, so for the last 22 years, it's been loosely defined as a franchise player. I mean, you can change a franchise. And when you look at the history of 134 quarterbacks who've been named five-star quarterback by somebody outside of themselves, only one has won a Super Bowl as a starting quarterback and changed the franchise. And it was Matthew Stafford, year 13, team two. So the definition of five-star QB, to me, um, is dramatically inaccurate in terms of this guy has to change a franchise. And the reason we wrote the book was to dive into that and get into the nuts and bolts and ask these players. We interviewed over 50 quarterbacks, 54 to be exact, who went through the journey. And so, hey, what was it like the day you found out you were a five-star quarterback? And Ryan Perlow was awesome from LSU. He goes, I was on my farm in Louisiana, and somebody said, hey, you're one of the best quarterbacks in the history of the game. And I said, well, I didn't ask for that. And then all of a sudden, the expectations went through the roof. And quarterbacks were fighting to meet those expectations time and time again and never met it. If you look at the NFL draft, out of those 134 players, only 10 were drafted in the top 10. And they were all like absolute beasts. So 
a lot of them were quote unquote misses. And the reason we wrote the book was to remind people that one, given that label, five star quarterback, if you don't meet somebody else's expectation or somebody else's definition of you, you didn't fail. So go through the process and here's some tools to handle on your visit. If you want to transfer, how to deal with women on campus, how to deal with money in NIL, how to deal with your own parents, how to deal with transferring, transferring twice. We tried to overturn every stone in the process of recruiting. And then we laid in advice from 40 ambassadors, Pete Carroll, David Shaw, Chip Kelly, Dan Lanning, Ryan Day, all the guys that I immensely respect around the game, to just help out on this journey. Because one thing remains true, man. Five-star QBs, none of them asked for the label. But they all got it put on them. And very few, you could argue one of them, lived up to that label defined by recruiting services. And I just don't think that's accurate. I think a lot of these guys who are now husbands and fathers and successful in their professional endeavors aren't busts. Maybe they just didn't play in the NFL for a decade and win a Super Bowl. So I don't know how I would define it. Uh, I would probably get rid of the entire uh, phrase. I, I don't. I think it's nice. I think it's cool. It's popular. We all blow it up and love it. But it really doesn't mean anything. Right? That, that hype we've seen forever, it never necessarily translates exactly, uh, very rarely translates exactly to what people think a five-star quarterback can be. And only, the only thing it does is hamper the player. And, and I think that's, that's also the road as we got into you know, super conference, et cetera. I don't know if all these expectations, all this hype, and all the uh, things associated with it are going to be great for the players. I think letting them play, develop, grow, and then thrive is much better than showing up on campus and being forced into playing because you were a big-name recruit. It is such good content. It is such a good read. His latest book, Five Star QB, is out right now. Yogi Roth, Pac-12 lead football analyst, a filmmaker, and a New York Times bestselling author joining us once again. Yogi, it's so good to have you back. Congrats on the book. I think it's fascinating. It's always great to have you on the show. Yogi, thank you so much. Thanks, bro. Lots of love. Talk to you soon. Oh, man, do I ever love this product. The Conair Turbo Extreme Steam Steam and Iron 2-in-1. So let me go ahead and tell you why I love it so much. Number one, it is the most powerful handheld steamer that I've ever seen. I'm talking fast and easy wrinkle removal, and I hate wrinkles. An extra large sole plate that can be used vertical or horizontal, and it also works without steam, is a dry iron. How is this possible? Because of advanced heat technology, which is ready almost instantly, and it obliterates wrinkles with turbocharged dry steam. Plus, four different settings for delicate to turbo is perfect for all fabrics. And it kills 99.9% of bacteria, it sanitizes around the house, and it refreshes clothing. Easy to use and great for at home or if you're on the go. To get yours today, go to Amazon, search Conair Turbo Extreme Steam, and look for the steam and iron two-in-one. Great, great product. So an MLB manager did get the axe yesterday, but somehow that manager was not Tony Larusa. Not that he hasn't been trying his best all summer long to get the guillotine, but he was not the guy. No, it was Rangers manager Chris Woodward who got capped after nearly four seasons. I mean, that'll happen after the front office goes on a $500 million offseason spending spree and the team's not even in the wildcard race. A.K.A. GM John Daniels needed to get himself a fall guy and he found it. Now, don't get this part twisted. The White Sox are every bit as disappointing and they do not need to find a fall guy. They've already got an old man trying desperately to take the fall himself. I've been saying for months, 
It's like this dude has been managing the team like he's trying to get run out of town. And yet last night, Slarusa somehow found a way to sink even lower. It's never been so easy to say that Tony is asleep at the wheel. Because last night, he literally was asleep at the wheel at the most critical moment of that game. And then something truly incredible happened. Or actually, something incredibly believable happened because it involved that old man. It was the bottom of the eighth. Eloy Jimenez had just doubled into to tie that game up, meaning he was the go-ahead run on second base, the potential game-winning run on second base. Also, if you know anything about the guy, and Tony should, he manages him. He's only responsible for 25 guys. If you know anything about this guy, you know he's not the fastest dude. Probably would be replaced for defense as well in the ninth inning. So it doesn't take much of a baseball fan or expert to understand what happens next. You're going to pinch run for this dude. He did his job. He tied the game up, got himself in a scoring position. Get him the hell out of there. Except old tone, like I said, was catching Z's on the upper step. Until some dude in the second row woke him up. I'm not kidding. This is actual audio from a real tweet from last night's game. Listen to this fan telling Tony what to do in that spot. Hey, Tony. Oh, he's going to pinch run. He's getting into he's it. Pinched. And he called it. And he called it. And he's doing it. He's doing it. Make him the manager. Make him the manager. Tony fell asleep. Walks away. I mean, like, it actually worked. I mean, seemingly, you heard the audio, and then you saw what the manager did. TLR seemingly heard that dude. And then really did send out Engel. And, of course, Engel ended up scoring the go-ahead run in a huge win. Get Engel in there. Get Engel in there. Get Tony, in there. Tony, wake up, dude. Once and for all, answering a question that everybody already knew the answer to, that some random drunk in the stands could do a better job managing that team than Tony LaRussa. Nobody is surprised to find that out, but now we know for sure. I mean, we already knew for sure, but we saw the thing play out in real time last night. Hey, Tony, what the bleep is happening? This is a new low, even for you. And the only reason why we got to see it is because some dude named David tweeted, quote, no way. My dad got Tony to pinch run angle in the eighth. Quote, no way. My dad got Tony to pinch run angle in the eighth. Yes way, David. And the video only makes it even more obvious that that's exactly how that went down. Who knows what other crazy bull bleep like this is going on every single day that does not get posted to social media. Not that I'm surprised. And you shouldn't be either. I mean, we are talking about a dude who couldn't make it through the alphabet. R-S-T-U-V-V-Z-V-Z-V-Z-V-Z-V-Z-V-Z-V-Z-V-Z-V-Z-V-Z-V-Z-V-Z-V-Z-V-Z-V-Z-V-Z-V-Z-V-Z-
T-U-V-X-Y-X-Z. Oh, so close. I mean, obviously overmatched in the major leagues in 2022, but somehow, some way, still employed. Even if it seems like he's trying his best to get unemployed. Hey, why stop now, T? Before every game, have the bat boy gather some randoms from the stands, and you can form your own think tank. Have them all fill out the lineup card. Have them all walk to the mound and pull your starting pitcher because he's worn out and you're asleep. Or maybe have them all sit by third base and they can do that Pete Townsend windmill thing when one of your guys is rounding third to come home. They can do that, and while they do, you can catch up on your Z's, do a crossword puzzle, watch Murder, She Wrote, look at all the grandkids' pics on Facebook, or just suck on a Werther's. Hey, clones, just because it worked for T does not mean it's going to work here. I already had a nitro cold brew from Starbucks on the way in. I had a double espresso shot. As you can tell, I'm shot out of a cannon. I do not need you to advise me. I'm good. He said, literally, it's not that I'm surprised by that, but we actually have documentation of what happened. This guy's on second base, and a a fan is saying, Tony, Tony, wake up. Run angle. Hello, Tony. And then he did, and it worked. But he's still employed. He was not the guy. He fell asleep. What the bleep is going on in there? What the is happening? What the bleep is happening? I'll tell you what's happening. Some guy's managing the game from outside the dugout, and it's working. Man, if I'm Tony LaRusso, I find that guy, and I have him fill out the lineup card. He said. So I'm in the business of asking people questions. So let me ask you a question. Do you feel like your antiperspirant keeps you dry all day long? Fair question, right? Dove Men Plus Care Dry Spray has an instantly drying antiperspirant formula that can help give you a cleaner feel and offers 48 hours of sweat and odor protection. I said 48 hours. That's a big number now. Dove Men Dry Spray feels light and clean on your skin, and it's quick and easy to use, especially when you're on the move. Also, Dove Men Dry Spray contains Dove's unique one-quarter moisturizing cream that helps protect your skin as well, and it leaves your skin feeling comfortable and helps protect it. So much to like about this. Try Dove Men Dry Spray. Goes on dry, clean feel, all day. Jeff Brom is my guest. Jeff, it's great to have you back. How are you? I'm great. Thanks for having me. It's good to have you. So the program won nine games in the first four seasons before you arrived. We know this. Then you won nine games last year. I know you're focused on this season, but when you look back, what did last year represent to you and the entire program on the whole? Well, it was a successful year. We really made some progress. I thought we got better overall as a team, and that was important for us, just making sure our defense was able to play better and play winning football we got a little bit better on special teams and just really became more complete team so 
uh, you know, we just want to build on that. I think uh, we got a great challenge in week one that will really test where we're at, but I know our guys will be excited about playing Penn State. So I know you're looking to build a complete team, but you've made no secret of the fact that you're going to attack the game differently than the rest of the teams in your division. As an example, last year you passed for more than 1,400 more yards, 21 more passing TDs than anybody else in the division. So how would you sum up the offensive identity of the team? Well, we like to play an exciting brand of football, and that's kind of our MO, and we like to do things different. And we think we've got to do things a little bit different here at Purdue, but – you know what? Our fans like to watch exciting brand of football. We like to put the ball in the air as much as we can, try to create some big plays, have some fun in the passing game, run a few trick plays here and there. But I think it's just a matter of uh, as we grow mature, we want to just try to score points. And uh, while that is all great to watch, we've got to make sure that we can at least run the ball when we have to, figure out ways to have a little bit more balance just in case uh, you know we need that part of our repertoire in order to score points. But uh, I think we're making some progress. We still have a ways to go, but I really like the makeup of our team, and I think we, we have a really good quarterback and some weapons, but we just want to make sure that you know, whatever and however we can score the most points, that's, that's what we're doing. We're talking to Purdue head football coach Jeff Brom, and of course I was going to ask you about that quarterback. It seems to me it takes somebody special to be the quarterback in an offense like that, and as the season wore on, Aiden O'Connell started to stack one great performance on top of another. You played the position, of course. You've coached it. What did you make of what you saw from him last season? Well, really proud of Aiden. I thought it was a remarkable year he had. Uh, he had to overcome his head coach. He didn't start him at the beginning of the year and uh, prove to myself and the team that uh, you know it was his job. But he did that. He stepped in uh, the middle of the season after he kind of played sporadically for a couple of years and played really well at times. Uh, I was just concerned about his uh, mobility and being able to create some plays outside the pocket. And uh, I tell you what, when we started to go with him full-time midway through the season, he really kind of took off. And I think it's just a product of – strong faith that he has as a, as a young man he, he really works hard he's put in a lot of work he's been battle tested you know a lot of times when you're a quarterback and you've experienced the ups and the downs it just kind of makes you tougher and your skin tougher and really the last half of the year he put up some remarkable numbers that were were hard to match and i really think that if he can find a way to you know just slightly improve and us to win some really uh, tough football games the sky's the limit but just really proud of him he came here with Nobody ever recruited him, uh, and he just worked his way up from the bottom, and he's just a terrific young man. Talking to Jeff Brom, you know, Jeff, you're talking about, like, specific skills. We're talking about tangible qualities. I've also heard you make the point that being a great quarterback takes courage. Can you lay that out for me? Again, as somebody who played the position and has coached the position for as long as you have, what do you mean by that, and then how contagious is that courage? Well, I think it's a unique position, and uh, you've got to just have some toughness, and not just physical toughness, but mental toughness. Uh, you know, I, I wish for quarterbacks, uh, you could, you know, throw out there John Elway and right off the bat, he's going to be great from day one. But normally, you, you got to go through a learning curve. Uh, you got to have the confidence to be able to believe in yourself, but also when things aren't going well and you experience some tough times, that you stick with it and you're able to learn from your mistakes. I just think that, you know, Aiden. The great, greatest quality he has, he has great poise, great presence in the pocket. I think he understands his limitations, so it allows him to stand in there a little bit longer than the others. Uh, he's a young man of great faith, so when something doesn't go his way, he doesn't get too down. When something goes well, he doesn't get too high. And I just think he has the perfect mentality, and he's really trying to become a leader this year and take it to uh, a different level. So I just think he's uh, really matured uh, throughout his years playing, uh, he loves his teammates. He li- loves to do things the right way. He just got married a couple weekends ago, so he's just really mature beyond his years. So 
he's somebody that you always want those type of guys to experience success, and I think uh, he can be a great leader for us. Very well said. And not only that, but he plays really, really big in really big moments. And then when you talk about big moments, last year included wins at number two Iowa and at home against number three Michigan State. As you continue to build the program, how valuable then is it to be able to have a pair of top five wins like that and have guys that have played great football in really intense moments like that? Well, we've had some fortune over these last couple of years to win some big games. I think it's just a credit to our players and our coaches. And we kind of, we're not afraid to swing for the fence. I think our guys like to, 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 to shine in the big moment because they really think that they have been overlooked. They haven't been recruited as much as some of the others. They got a chip on their shoulder. And those are the type of guys you like to coach. You know, they want to work hard. They don't shy away from the, the big stage. And, and that's kind of been a strength of ours, to be quite honest with you. Now, building consistency is something we got to continue to, to work on, but our guys love big games. Uh, they love to go out there and play. Uh, I think our fans love those type of games. Our schedule is normally one of the tougher schedules in the country with the, matter, the amount of uh, tough non-conference opponents we play as well, along with our conference. Uh, so it's just a, a great opportunity for us to showcase what we're all about. And like I said, this year, uh, playing on national TV against Penn State at home is going to be a great test. We played them three years ago. Uh, it was it was not a good game for us. They beat us in every facet of the game. So this will be a really a great test to see, you know, how far we have to come, or maybe how far we have come uh, when this game's over. Jeff Brom joining me for another moment or so. It's a great test. It's a great opportunity. But to open up with Penn State at home in prime time, it is those things. What kind of an atmosphere are you expecting for this game? Well, I think it'll be tremendous. That's one thing that uh, here at Ross Aid at uh, Purdue that uh, our fans love the big games. And uh, we, like I said, we've had some success. So they're going to come out in full force. Um, Penn State's a great name, great brand, a lot of history, a lot of tradition, tremendous talent, well coached. And they won a lot of great football games. So this is one that if we can just find a way to hang in there and, and make some plays and win the turnover battle and do the small things correctly, you know, anything can happen. So we just got to make sure that we. We come ready to play. Uh, we play aggressive in all facets of the game, and we hope that the ball bounces our way and we have a little luck. And if that happens, you never know. He is the head football coach of Purdue, entering his sixth season. As I mentioned, season opener is September 1st against Penn State. A great opportunity and a great challenge. Jeff, always great to talk to you. I love the energy, and it's good to have you back on the show. Thank you very much, and good luck to you. Okay, thanks, buddy. I appreciate it. Oh, man, do I ever love this product. The Conair Turbo Extreme Steam Steam and Iron 2-in-1. So let me go ahead and tell you why I love it so much. Number one, it is the most powerful handheld steamer that I've ever seen. I'm talking fast and easy wrinkle removal, and I hate wrinkles. An extra large sole plate that can be used vertical or horizontal, and it also works without steam is a dry iron. How is this possible? Because of advanced heat technology, which is ready almost instantly, and it obliterates wrinkles with turbocharged dry steam. Plus, four different settings for delicate to turbo is perfect for all fabrics. And it kills 99.9% of bacteria, it sanitizes around the house, and it refreshes clothing. Easy to use and great for at home or if you're on the go. To get yours today, go to Amazon, search Conair Turbo Extreme Steam, and look for the steam and iron two-in-one. Great, great product. I said yesterday, and I'll say it again, him blaming his positive PED test on ringworm is the greatest excuse ever. Ringworm meds, actually. 
I would say it is. I mean, it was until now. He barely held the title for more than a few days before his own father ripped it from him. Fernando Tatis Sr. appeared on a Dominican Republic radio program and said that the failed test is the result of a bad haircut. Hector Gomez reports that Tatis Sr. said, quote, he's got a fungus due to a haircut. His mistake was not reading what it contains, which is what apparently makes him guilty of something totally unknown. End of quote. So, just so I have this straight, if you take roids after a bad haircut, Kirk Heinrich would be Barry Bonds. Chris Kamen would be able to bench a billion and squat a trillion. Randy Johnson would have hit 200 on the radar gun. And no, I do not need to hear from Mark Davis on this topic. Leave this guy alone. But just know that if bad hair led to roids, Carlos Boozer would be the most jacked dude in the league after that hairspray incident. That's an incredible angle. Junior did not take the roids to enhance his performance. He took them to treat a bad haircut. Like, how do you go from getting a bad haircut to testing positive for roids? Were you looking for high-performing hair? I mean, damn, this haircut sucks. Better get crazy jacked so people do not notice how bad my haircut is. And yes, I understand that maybe the argument is he got ringworm or some other fungus from the haircut. But saying that a bad haircut triggered that failed test is pretty absurd. But you know what else is absurd? Saying that Junior made a mistake by not reading the ingredients on the medication he took. According to ESPN, quote, the label lists close to ball, the anabolic steroid that Tatis Jr. tested positive for, and neomycin, an antibiotic, as its two main ingredients, end of quote. So what that does not sound like is ringworm meds that accidentally got some roids in it. It sounds like roids that accidentally got some ringworm meds in it. In other words, that's not tainted ringworm meds. It's reportedly written right there on the label, right? It's in the ingredients. It's one of the two main ingredients. Like every guy who tests positive tries to say they must have taken a tainted supplement. This guy took a product that listed an anabolic steroid as one of its two main ingredients. It's a product that has steroids in it. One of the two main ingredients, one of the two main attributes of this product is the presence of an anabolic steroid. You know, so what I'm saying is that'd be like drinking five martinis, getting completely bleep-faced, and then claiming that somebody must have put booze in your drink. And again, as stupid as all that is, the bad haircut, the fungus, not reading a label which lists a steroid as one of its two main ingredients— all that's still giving him the benefit of the doubt that he was taking roids to treat ringworm and not taking roids to get crazy strong for his return. Like, even if you want to give him the benefit of the doubt, even if you want to, and that's still way too much benefit to give this guy, even if you accept this, Senior also had issue with Major League Baseball for how they handled it. 
He said, quote, I don't think there was a reason to destroy the image of a player over something as minor as that, end of quote. (laughs) As minor as that. He failed a PED test. He tested positive for a substance that has been banned for years. But the problem is with how baseball handled it. Like, Pops, how should baseball have handled that? What, just let it slide? Oh, you got busted for taking roids. Oh, you took roids. Oh, but it was because of a bad haircut. No problem. Carry on. Listen, I know Major League Baseball has got a a habit of shooting itself in the foot over and over again. I'm not seeing that here, though. MLB did not destroy Junior's rep. Junior destroyed Junior's rep. I'm sure Major League Baseball would love to have one of the best players in the game back on the field playing alongside two of the other best players in the game just in time for the postseason. Believe me, Pops, the last thing Major League Baseball wants to do is destroy the rep of one of its biggest stars and have its biggest drug scandal since A-Rod back in the day. They're not looking to destroy the image of one of their best young players. Like, if Major League Baseball tried to come up with a plan to wreck Junior's image, they could not have wrecked it as badly as Junior has wrecked it himself. I mean, that's an all-time bad take. But that didn't stop Senior. In fact, he was just getting started. Quote, this is a catastrophe What has taken place, not just for Junior, but for all of baseball. There are millions of fans who are going to stop watching baseball now. It's a total disappointment for Dominican fans, fans throughout the world, for something so insignificant that wasn't worth it. End of quote. Well, you're right about one thing. It is a catastrophe. Except it's a catastrophe that your son himself caused. And yes, there are millions of fans who are going to be hurt by this, but your son is the one who has to answer for it, not Major League Baseball. I mean, you know how hard you have to work to make me take Major League Baseball side in anything these days? But unless there's something that we don't know about, this is a no-brainer. Senior added to that with this, quote, What came out positive in Junior's body is something that doesn't give you strength, first of all, doesn't amplify your weight training regimen, that's second, and doesn't have any testosterone, that's third, doesn't contain absolutely anything that would give you an edge in the game. End of quote. Are you Fernando Tatis Sr. or are you Scott Service? Like, maybe it really doesn't give you an edge in the game, and maybe it really is best for fixing bad haircuts, But it's still a banned substance. It's still an anabolic steroid. It's been banned by the World Anti-Doping Agency for years. It's been banned by Major League Baseball for nearly two decades. It might not help you play baseball, but it's been banned by baseball. And if you test positive, you sit. It's that simple. I understand being a father and wanting to support and protect your son. But going on the radio and running that was not the answer. To quote a legend, you're not helping him, you're hurting him, man, and you should not be talking about it on the radio. Two grand slams in one inning, and now two horrible takes in one day. 
And not only did you not make that situation any better, you extended the story for a few more days. Bad haircut, even worse take. Senior, if you like being on the radio, call the show. We'd love to have you. We can add your take to our growing catalog of former major leaguers who call the call-in line with bad takes on roids in baseball. You could go right up there with my guy's service. Here's the thing. Mark McGuire, Mark McGuire belongs in all things. So does Sammy Sosa, so does Mark McGuire, so does Barry Bonds. All these guys should be in the Hall of Fame. Okay? Now, here's the thing. Back, back when steroids, they wasn't illegal and everybody, guys did it. Okay? You know, steroids might mainly hit the ball 50 feet further, but I, like I said, these guys... Yeah, yeah, but 50 feet, 50 feet is the difference between the warning track and the 30th row. Yeah, but if it's, if it's 410 feet and 470 feet, the ball's already gone. So, <laughs> senior, you should call the call in line like he did back in the day. And then our catalog of former major leaguers who call the call-in line with bad takes on roids in baseball would balloon to two. 1-800-636-8686. 1-800-636-8686. Make it happen, senior. The painter is lonely. Dana White is my guest. Dana, what's going on? How are you? What's up, buddy? How are you? Good, dude. How about you? I'm awesome. All right, so Kamaru Usman stepping into the cage Saturday against Leon Edwards. Dan, I sat with Usman on Radio Row before the Super Bowl. Could not have been more impressed. It was a couple of days after his hand surgery, and still the guy showed up with so much it, so much presence. You've been around the best of the best. What is it that makes this guy special in your mind? Well, obviously his talent. I mean, the guy is an absolute stud. Look at what he's done. He's never lost here. Um, And, uh, you know, he's lapping guys in that division, and he's on his way to Goatstad, the guy's going to be in the conversation. This Saturday, if he wins, he uh, breaks Anderson Silva's record for uh, consecutive title defenses. And, you know, then he has to start being talked about with John Jones, Anderson Silva, GSP. You know, I was going to say just that, Dana. Like, when you look at the talent in the welterweight division and what this guy's done to everybody in that division, is the debate about greatest welterweight ever officially over, or do GSP fans still have an argument? He's definitely the greatest welterweight of all time. There's, there's no doubt, doubt about it. I mean, if you just look at the competition that he fought, that he beat, that he's defended the title against, and he's breaking the record, I mean, he's the greatest welterweight ever. After Saturday, you start talking about him being one of the greatest ever in the sport. Dana White's joining us. So, Dana, what about Edwards? Like, the Hollywood ending for this guy would be he beats Usman. He wins the belt from the guy who beat him seven years ago. You know, Usman, he says that hearing stuff like that only gets him motivated, gets him jacked up. Do you get the feeling that people are overlooking Edwards at all going into the fight? Yeah, I mean, absolutely. You you can't overlook this guy. This guy is, is the real deal. And he lost to Usman once. He knows what he needed to work on and, and, and what the holes in his game were. So it's going to be interesting to see how he does. And, yes, you you said it perfectly. I mean, talk about a Hollywood ending for him, taking out the pound-for-pound best fighter in the world 
uh, as he's just about to break the record of Anderson Silva. Dana White joining us, UFC 278, Usman v. Edwards 2, live from Salt Lake City. I mean, Dana, obviously one fight at a time, but one more thing about Usman. He talks about the fact that when he has a challenge and he conquers it, he feels like he's alive. He's talked in the past that he's wanted to move up to 205, earn even more respect. I mean, could you see that move happening, and would you be good with a move like that? I don't know, man. 205 is another. 85 would be would be a something, but 205, I don't know about that. Um, that you know, that, that's, that's two full weight classes in this sport. That's a big deal. Dana White joining us. All right, Dana, so you got a number of other really interesting fights on that card, including Jose Aldo looking for his fourth straight win at Bantamweight. How has he looked to you in his last three fights? Well, it's incredible. If you look at how long this guy dominated as champion in his weight class, and now – I, I mean, he's still, what is, what is he, like, ranked number three in the world, you know? Uh, at his age, taking on all, all these young guys, it, it's very impressive. And, and Rob is going to be a very tough fight for him. Now, Sean O'Malley, for instance, has said that if Aldo gets that, he should get a title shot if he wins Saturday night. We're in the middle of a lot of action in the division that started last weekend. It continues through UFC 280 in October. How do you see the Bantamweight division stacking up right now? Yeah, it's fun, man. It's fun. I mean, you got uh, Peter Yan, you know, Dillashaw's back. Jose Aldo's still in the mix. Corey Sandhagen is unbelievable. You know, the, the, the Dominic Cruz, uh, Cheeto Vera fight that just happened on Saturday night in San Diego was awesome. And, you know, you got Sean O'Malley, too. All right, so if O'Malley beats Yan at 280, where does O'Malley fit into the title fight discussions? Yeah, O'Malley's in the top three. He, he beats Peter Yan. He's in the top three. And, uh, you know, he's facing nothing but straight killers. Talking about the champ, uh, Aljamain Sterling. You got P.J. Dillashaw, Jose Aldo, Sandhagen is nasty. Marlon Vera, like I said, he, you know, a lot of nasty dudes in that division. We're talking to Dana White. So, Dana, before we get to 280, you've got 279. Leon Edwards was talking about UFC 279 recently. He said that facing Kamzat Chemaev is not fair to Nate Diaz. Quote, he's done so much for the company. I wish they gave him a veteran, a nice fight to bow out to, to give him an up-and-coming guy that's had four or five fights in the UFC and a wrestler guy as well. I think they bleeped up. They should have given him a better fight. End of quote. So, Dana, what's your reaction when you hear that? Well, he wanted Francis Ngannou. Should I have given him him? <laughs> well, there is <laughs> that, Ngannou, right? For those of you that are listening and don't know, is a heavyweight. Okay? Uh, what I'd like to do is, is I'd like to get Leon Edwards on the phone to deal with Nate Diaz for about a month. And, uh, yeah, and, and let's see what he says a month from now. I know where you're going with that, Dana. You and I have talked for a long time about Nate. Now, you know, I love talking to you about Nate because I know that negotiating with the Diaz brothers is like nothing else in the business. For the record, this is a guy who wanted to fight Nganu, who outweighs him by 80 pounds. Like, how would you describe what it's like to negotiate with Nate? Well, here's, here's the other thing before. It's, I mean, for, about negotiating with him. Negotiating with a lot of these guys is, is, is very fun, let me tell you. But the truth of the matter is, what if he beats Hamza Chemaev? You know what I mean? Hamza Chemaev is a human being. He's human. I get it. Stylistically, they don't match up. But this is the fight that Nate wanted. Do you hear Nate walking around, you know, bitching in interviews saying, oh, they, they threw this guy? No, this is what he wanted. Either him or Francis Ngannou are the two fights he wanted. What if he wins? Then what? You know what I mean? Yeah, I, that's why I don't listen to any of these. How many fights has, has Leon Edwards or Dan Hardy made? The answer is none. They've never made any. I've been making fights for 22 years. 
Leave it to the pros, boys. You just do to stick to what you do. Worry about Saturday night and Kamara Usman. Dana White is joining us. Dana, you and I have talked about Shamaya for a long time. You know how I feel about him, too. And you know how I feel about Nate. I mean, it's a wild fight. Stylistically, it might not be what Leon wants to see or others, but how do you see that fight going? Well, you don't know. What, what, you, what you imagine is Hamza could probably come in, double leg him, take him down, and, and absolutely smash him. But the, the, the Diaz brothers are both durable. Nate's a durable guy. Uh, you saw in the last fight when, he, when uh, Hamza fought Gilbert Burns, you know, he was exhausted by the third round. As the fight goes on, Nate Diaz gets stronger. So, believe me, they're, they're both human beings. Anything is possible. Anything can happen. And more importantly, this is the fight that Nate Diaz wanted. Dana White joining me. So, Dana, I'm just jumping around really quickly. This fall marks two years since Habib last stepped into the cage. Do you ever reach out or hit him up about coming back, or do you just leave that alone? Um, Habib? Yes. Yeah, no, Habib, uh, yeah, Habib's retired. I, I, it's funny that you asked me. It's weird that you asked me that question, actually. I just reached out to him recently to see if he was interested in something. He's like, I'm retired, brother. I'm done. So I, I don't think Habib ever comes back. But you tried, though. Well, it was, a, it was something different. Trying to get him to do a grappling match. And he didn't want any part of that either. He's like, I'm done. I'm retired. Why do you think he feels that strongly about that when you know he's got so much he could still do if he wanted to? I think that when his father passed away, that was a wrap for him. And he's just focused on training other guys and, and, and helping them become world champions. Hmm. Dana White joining me. Dana, so Mike Tyson recently praised you for turning down millions of dollars in relation to a Hulu show about him. For those who don't know, what happened, and how would you describe that relationship with Mike? Yeah, no, I, I you know, I, we were about to do this deal on this, this show that was coming out about him, and uh, my, my guy in production said, I'm hearing that Mike isn't happy with this thing. So I called Mike, and he made it very clear that he wasn't happy with, with this uh, biography or whatever the hell it is on him. And uh, so, so, yeah, I said, then I won't promote it. Yeah, I, I get that. Out of respect to your friend, what is it, Dana? What's about Mike? I know you're a boxing guy as well. Like, what's your connection to Mike? Why, why, why is that bond so strong between you and Mike? Well, we've been friends for almost 25 years, and and you know, behind the scene, Mike and I have done a lot of things together. And uh, you know, I love the guy. I grew, I grew up watching him. He ended up becoming one of my good friends, and uh, you know, I care about the guy. So, you know, I'm. I'm uh, and that means more to me than, than any amount of money. Dana White joining me. So, Dana, really quickly, let me go off the board for a moment. You recently did an interview with GQ, and as part of it, you said Caesars Palace is the best casino in the world. It's interesting. I want to say back in the day when I spent a lot more time in Vegas, I used to love the old DI. I love the Desert Inn, old school, cool as hell. And I would agree with you. I used to love gambling at Caesars for the same reason, old school, cool as hell. Let me get your take. Lay it out for me. What makes Caesars the best casino? Well, first of all, you know, they're, they're not a, a chicken shit casino, man. They, they'll let you play big money, big odds. You know, it's, it, they're very good if you're a player. But the other thing is they take really good care of their players, you know. Um, you know, I've, I've been at Caesars for a long time. Every Christmas, they have like this massive ballroom, and it's full of every, I mean, snowmobiles, motorcycles, jewelry, clothing, you name it, electronics. And they let their, 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 their players go shopping there. You go take whatever you want. It, it's, it, they're very old school in the way that they take care of uh, 
their players. None of the other casinos do that anymore. Everybody's, you got all these bean counters, and, you know, it's, it's just not the same. Caesars is the same as it was 30 years ago. It's old school cool. I always felt the same way about that. Hey, Dan, really quickly, you mentioned San Diego. What was the San Diego weekend like? I mean, when you take the tour all over the place, you've seen every kind of town, every kind, any kind of country, every kind of venue. What was San Diego like? Yeah, it was awesome. It was good to be back down in San Diego. The fans were incredible. The place was sold out. We broke the arena record. The, the vibe in there, first of all, it was an early fight in the day, not at night. The vibe in there was like a pay-per-view. I felt like I was at a pay-per-view event on Saturday. All right, so UFC 278, Usman v. Edwards 2. It's live from Salt Lake City. The prelims are live on ABC and ESPN. The main card is on ESPN Plus, pay-per-view. UFC President Dana White closing the show on this Tuesday. Dana, appreciate you as always. Thanks so much. Thank you, buddy. Good night now!